This is Monster Manual Mash. This is the podcast where we go through every entry in the Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition Monster Manual. We are going paragraph by paragraph, often line by line, looking at their stat blocks, looking at anything we can get our little grubby hands on so that we can get to the core of these monsters. We're trying to figure out what the writers want us to think and feel when we are dealing with them, what the hook is for a dungeon master to put them in their game. And we look to history, mythology, folklore, popular imagination. We make stuff up for alternative takes. We strip them down and put them back together to see what you can do with them to make you have a better game, hopefully help you have a better game. And also for the love of the, just the thrill of the hunt, you know, just, I just like monsters. There, I said it. What are we doing today? Well, we're talking about, we're talking about genies, Chris. Oh yes. Thank God he remembered. Yeah. We're rubbing that lamp and it's time to get into the genie, which is a big one. Yeah. Because there are four subtypes that we'll get into in a little bit. Yeah. We've done other subtype ones like fungus and dragons but like with genies it's very very much it's like variations on a theme and i feel like the theme is strong enough that it can just be one solid thing you know yeah i think we could do as if we wanted to we could stretch the dragon episode out we could do one on the different colors someday but today is not that day these guys are going to stand alone in two they're going to they're going to stand in one actually not alone all together yeah because Well, we'll see. We'll see. So here I will probably use the what you think and feel about genie thing. (laughs) I'm pretty sure we have. (laughs) Yeah. We'll use that. And and I'll just I'll start reading the thing and pretend that there's a segue in there somewhere. Yeah. They are creatures. Out of story and legend. This isn't like the first paragraph. They're creatures out of story and legend, which is a funny thing to say in a in a D&D universe where where goblins are explicitly real. Yeah, yeah. And to say and that... Centaurs are explicitly real. To say that about only one of these types of being, you know? It's... Yeah. Yeah, why these guys in particular? There's something... There's something like... There's something about genies that just screams myth and legend yeah so the creatures from myth and legends yeah they're creatures that are myth and legends it's kind of like maybe they're sort of like celebrities right yeah where like you know everyone's got everyone's like met one or something and has like a weird story that doesn't really go anywhere where they like said hi to them in an elevator yeah <laughs> and the the yeah yeah i had uh i had a drink with tia career one time oh yeah who's not i mean all due respect but i don't i don't think she's much of a celebrity these days right yeah but anyone over 30 knows who she is hopefully i uh, i stood next to buzz from the melvins at a at a concert once <laughs> what concert it was it was actually it was the melvins were also playing at the concert and it was it and also this sludge metal band called weed eater at this like weird oh, bar yeah. in yeah this weird bar in oh, yeah. buffalo i went with my dad Oh my god! Like nobody was at the show, like absolutely nobody. And but like there was Buzz, like front and center, watching Weed Eater play. And I was like, I'm just gonna go headbang next to Buzz, you know? Yeah. Maybe we'll be. You can't miss him. He's got crazy hair. 
And like Buzz seemed like the kind of guy who'd like, I appreciate somebody else coming up closer to the band with me. And I figured like this could be an unspoken thing. So I <laughs> I looked at him and we we're like, yeah, and just headbanged to Weed Eater and then went back our ways. And I felt like, you know, and I'm not going to bother him after be like, hey, that was cool when we stood next to each other. Because I feel like uh, yeah. it's enough. That's the right thing. Yeah, that's the, I feel like in, in terms of like, like proximity of interaction to like level of fame. I feel like that's the, that's the, the crossover point. For that's me. a good one. That's a pretty good one. That's a very positive one. I think even though you've described it, nothing that he did, everything you did was, is perfect. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. And you know, I, I hope it's the kind of interaction where like he, he didn't think about, but like, I didn't have to make him think about it, you know? Yeah. I didn't do anything. Exactly. So the, yeah, yeah, you positive. can say Buzz from the Melvins is my genie. Then I think that's absolutely yeah, absolutely. Genies are kind of they're they're spiritual beings that it, they they have power. Yeah, and don't don't like just ask for a wish. That's that's tacky, you know. No, you gotta you gotta you should have shoved him into a beer bottle or something. Yeah, that's good. That's how you come get a up wish. organically. <laughs> so, moving on to the next line paragraph here we're not into the the bolded paragraphs yet most live in the elemental planes and only a few on the material plane on the elemental plane they live in lavish palaces and they have worshipful slaves and slaves is is a major point of their villainy yeah or uh, even the ones that are more like supposed to be problematic allies or or you know possible allies there's still slaves about and you have to deal yeah. with this there's a slave economy they are proud mighty brilliant and majestic haughty and decadent they are entitled by the knowledge that few entities besides the gods can rival their power which is what you were talking about mm -hmm. and so yeah two things to take away from that they are near godlike in their ability and they know it. Yeah. Which yeah. is an important thing. So first bolded paragraph is creatures of the elements. A genie is born when the soul of a sentient creature melds with the primordial matter of an elemental plane. I have a hard time with this point. Yeah. Like what? Because it, it like it, it goes on too to be like it's it's you, really nothing carries over from the mortal soil soul that's just like a like a component basically, yeah. But I'm wondering like how clearly because it's we're not it, most worlds unless you want them to be aren't like flush with genies. This is some kind of like weird special event. But like I don't know what that means. I guess it leaves a lot up to you, and it's maybe supposed to be mysterious. Yeah, but it's never mentioned again. Right, yeah, yeah. It's kind of forgotten later on. Like, it's not... Like, I don't really need a, a, an origin story, and I don't need one that involves, like, converting a person and yeah, into and, one. And because, especially because, like, the elemental theme is so strong with them, I sort of think, like, well, no, like, air, air, I, you know, like, you think of, like, an element like air, it wasn't, like, 
created it like is it's just like part of the fabric of things and so like i imagine like elemental creatures is like no they just kind of are in the same way that like the 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 elements or the states of matter or whatever you want to think about them how those just like are like i was i, I sort of imagined it being almost like genies are so weird how were they created is a is, is kind of a the wrong question to ask you know yeah like they they exist prior to everything yeah, they are of a of a kind with the elements. Although there is some sort of difference that we will get into later with the real world origins of genies, but I guess they're trying to get at some sort of they're trying to make them even more different from elementals, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and give them a bit more of a they're they're a rarer instance, they're a rarer thing, maybe. But the lack of information about this, I mean, if you want to run with it, you can. Like, there's some probably some cool stuff we could do with this, but uh, kind of is just dumped on you and uh, never mentioned again. Yeah, yeah. I could see like an evil wizard trying to turn himself into a genie on purpose, but convinced that they will be able to retain their own oh, personality. It's like a modified lichdom ritual. <laughs> Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, or like I always think about like having to track down information for when I'm thinking of these things. Like, okay, well, the only guy who knew this fell into an elemental vortex and now he's a genie. He doesn't really remember a whole lot, but maybe, maybe if it can get into his mind, we can find something, but he's a genie now. So that's that's a whole thing. Yeah, and you got to find, you got to like appeal to his old personality, which is maybe buried under the new genie psyche. yeah. Isn't this what happened to Jafar from Aladdin? Didn't he turn himself into a genie oh, at the end? He did. I forget how that didn't. I feel like he just. I, how do they, I, f- I have I, a it's been memory a of time. him screaming unlimited cosmic power, but I think that's. Oh, yeah. That might be Palpatine from Star Wars. Uh, well, there's a moment in that uh, the the unlimited cosmic power. <laughs> that's that's Palpatine for sure. But there is a yeah. moment I think when it's like Re- Robin Williams' genie in Aladdin, where he is like boasting and makes himself look really big and says phenomenal yeah. cosmic power. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's what I'm thinking of. But I do know Jafar. Jafar definitely turns himself into a genie. Or yeah. Turns yeah. Into I a think genie. So. Yes. Yes. I don't know. How Wish, it wishes himself into genie-hood. <laughs> Which has, I feel like when, because there's always these, the genie laws, the loopholes that that are sometimes patched and sometimes not patched. I feel like if you can't wish for unlimited wishes, you can't wish yourself into a genie. You know? Or can you? Well, maybe, I don't know. These genies, like you said, the individual is but a building block or like a precursor to the actual genie's personality. So there's nothing, there's nothing there. They are primarily elemental spirits given humanoid form. It's explicitly in that paragraph. They, they can choose if they wish to sire a child with a mortal, but this is rare, but they do not mate and reproduce with among their own species. I just find it difficult to believe that so many, like there's a bunch of genies out there. There's a bunch of named genies in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah. And I just find it difficult to believe that they are all somehow sentient creatures who have melded with primordial matter. Yeah. 
Like, is that a bad thing? Is it an accident? Was it on purpose? Are they making genies? Is there a genie factory? Yeah. Do you just like trip and fall into the wrong hole in one of the planes? Or like, do you? Yeah. Or is it like, does it have to happen on the planes? Like, can it happen on the prime material realm? Like if you get somewhere. Yeah, like, it just says the primordial matter of an elemental plane. It doesn't say where that occurs. Yeah. Obviously, so it would be more likely on that plane, but, it, you know, anything goes. I don't know. I kind of I don't like it just because it's so loose and noncommittal. You can do cool things with it. You can, you can answer these questions for yourself, but yeah. it is this book is not going to help you. But it's like, why tie the genie to a mortal soul if you're not going to have anything really carry over in that time? Yeah. 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 They seem to have lost interest in that as soon as they wrote it. But what we do know for sure is that when they die, they disappear, leaving only whatever they were wearing and carrying, plus a little little dollop of whatever material they were. Yeah. And you immediately get it. There's like a flash and a puff of smoke if it's the, the fire one, gust of air of the air one, yada, yada. You get it. Yeah. Next paragraph. Rule or be ruled. Genies are validated by slaves. A genie without property amounts to nothing among their kind, and slaves are merely living property. So good genies treasure their slaves, and they treat them like honored members of a household, uh, more like paid servants, or even, you know, you're, grac- you're grateful for them, while an evil genie threatens and abuses them. Genies hate being bound into service themselves. They only work for others through bribery or some other coercion. All genies command their associated element, and some can even grant wishes. So mages, wizards, and such often try to bind them into service. Yeah. So we have a lot to work with on that one. The, the slave thing is kind of funny. The, the slave thing, as far as I can tell, is purely a D&D thing. I couldn't really find any like slave-loving yeah. stories. Yeah. And like the societies of them is mostly a D&D thing. There's some there's something to it in the Quran of all places mm-hmm. of genies being being ordered alongside everything else, but no slaves. Mm-hmm. So the slave thing is kind of kind of sets them up as villains first of all. And uh, yeah, it's it, it's hard not for it to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of hard to spin even the good genies treasuring yeah. their slaves. It's like oh oh yeah, so they. They treated them well, huh? Their 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 property, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. So there's only I think there's only one explicitly good type of genie, and it's we'll look at how they treat their slaves in particular, and that's kind of funny how we th- how we thread this needle. Yeah. And we also have the first the first suggestion of genies working for others. So for all their power and all their command of others, they are. it is extremely common for them to be hunted down and bound into service. Yeah. Next paragraph is decadent nobility. Some rare genies are noble genies who have learned to use their wish-granting abilities to obtain the objects of their desire. They presumably, they trade these wishes, these, these wish grants. Yeah in order to get what they desire. Although it is kind of like, I don't get it. Cause if you can use, if you can grant wishes or you can cast the spell wish, then you don't need to trade with others, but maybe there's some rule that says you can't grant your own wishes. 
but these yeah. this this restriction is absent. There's no indication here. So you, they just trade yeah. wishes for stuff, which is a weird way of getting stuff. It is a weird way, and like I could, it wouldn't be hard. Like I can see, it would be sort of like very consistent with the way genies and wishes work to be like, no, no, one of the cosmic laws is you can't use your wishing ability to like directly grant your own wish it's got to come from yeah like, the wish has to come from somebody else and they have you got to gotta trade it. it yeah yeah you just like it's oh you oh i i feel like you just need to add like that to like this we just solved it work. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> wish law is very important i think it <laughs> is and yeah. it's it's sorely lacking yeah here there are no rules and there's no suggestion. Again, this is one of the problems with the viewpoint of the monster manual, where it is it is not a like dungeon master facing text. It is it's as if it is a real encyclopedia of real things. So it doesn't tell you how to run a game. It just tells you what these creatures are. Yeah. Yeah. Within this context. So shame on you. Their vast palaces overflow with wonders and sensory delights. So here we have like a cool idea of like where you can find genies normally. Vast palaces that are overflowing with wonders and sensory delights and slaves. So that's a, that's a lot of yeah. action. Yeah. They cultivate the jealousy of other genies on purpose. We're still talking about the, the noble genies here. So they intentionally make other genies jealous and other genies aren't beholden to noble genies necessarily and they will sometimes defy them if they can get away with it so there's it's not like a strict hierarchy or society that they need to keep in place it's kind of a each is an independent state unto themselves yeah. and they can choose to ally themselves with someone or not i guess i think and like there's so a then bunch you can of court intrigue among the like the nobility you know oh yeah more more so than your regular court intrigue i think because yeah. each genie I, I would imagine is trying to set themselves up to get an advantage over over others so then you've got like d different genies trying to get players player characters to to side with them yeah. possibly that kind of thing so so far mostly good these are these are gameable things if you look into them a little deeper next paragraph is the power of worship genies acknowledge the power of gods but do not worship them they do love to be worshipped by humanoids though some will go so far as to make entire worlds or continents and other realms bow down before them so that's pretty major that's yeah. that's like a whole campaign you could have in in such a place and there's a lot of this like like one way hierarchical thinking with genies. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they acknowledge that gods are more powerful than them, but they don't believe that like if you work for a genie, it's not like the ultimate power resides in a god. It's like it stops with the genie. Yeah. Who yeah. cares that gods are more powerful? It doesn't matter. It's all about them, and you can have a whole world where they are the primary mover and shaker and villain or whatever yeah and uh, there's even i believe a more recent fifth edition supplement where the warlock class has a subtype where they get their powers from a genie yeah yeah um yeah it looks pretty cool it's 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 silly in some ways but like would be pretty fun if you leaned into it 
Because I yeah. think like you get the ability to go into your own little lamp if you want to. <laughs> you, you sort of <laughs> like you you get to kind of it's like they, the genie is kind of like I'm gonna make you like a like a like a genie light. You know, you're like yeah. a, a diet genie, an honorary genie. Yeah, yeah. I'll get you. You get to like do some genie stuff without being a genie. Yeah. I like that idea. I like the idea of a warlock's patron being something of like actually kind of limited power. Yeah. Yeah. But like, because if you, if a, a real powerful being maybe wouldn't need a, a warlock to do their work. Yeah. Well, maybe not. I think they well, would. I don't know. I mean, like there's, there's, like, there's, on there's, there's ways you can make it work. Like I sort of imagined, you know, like I could imagine a fiend like, trying to like pull the strings using some foresight to be like, well, I just need this more. I need a mortal to do these couple of things and then yeah. wait a thousand years and that will set something else up in place. Like I can come yeah, up totally. with things like that, which is also a genie thing to do, but I sort of a genie, I could see like, you know what? I like you. I'm going to give you some of my power. Now go, go get me some stuff, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of leeway with genies, both within the D and D world regarding their motivations and, reasons for making other people help them and in the like real world folklore concerning them there's a lot of flexibility yeah so yeah i take back what i said about oh and i'm looking at the class it depends on what kind of genie too because it's the the class abilities are tied to different elements yeah yeah and you can imagine what they are which we'll get into right now because this is where it's a two-pager two-page of text and the this the half of the first page and all the second is devoted to the subtypes. So the first of these is the Tao, yeah. who are the Earth genies. They are greedy and malicious, and they adorn themselves with jewels and gems. And when they fly, they have a sandy bottom half. <laughs> it's funny that everything in the Earth is always greedy. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's because like you know, mines and gold and gems and stuff, but it's, there's, yeah. it is, it is a funny, it is funny. Tolkien dwarves have really dominated the, the imagination concerning underground people. Yeah. Were there, that wasn't really a thing before Tolkien. That's that, that, that like strong association. I'm not sure, but Maybe. it definitely is like solidified. Yeah. Since yeah. then hard to get around. Jewels are in the ground, and you got a mine to get them. So who mines? Greedy people. What do they get? Oh, yeah, they have sub-paragraphs as well. All that glitters. They live in twisting tunnels of glittering ore, ever-expanding as they look for more. Didn't mean to rhyme that, but that is what they do. That's what they have for... That's what they have slaves for. Yeah. They care... They explicitly care nothing for the poverty of others, which is great. Good villain. Yeah. I want them to say that out loud. I care nothing for the poverty of others. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. And uh, they are known to grind precious metals onto their food like spice. That's a nice touch. Which is a great touch. Yeah. Because we do that. We have like yeah. a Goldschlager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're not so different. Yeah. They are lords of the earth. They won't assist mortals without something to gain. They'll trade with Ifrit, who are the fire people, but have nothing but scorn for Jin, who are the wind people, and Merids, who are the 
water people, genies. Yeah. The Tao are notorious slavers, and other creatures in the plane of Earth avoid them. They are proud slavers. They buy the best slaves money can get, and they make them work in their dangerous tunnels. And although they hate being slaves, they are easy for clever mages to trick into service. That's what you get for loving jewels so much. Yeah. A wizard's going to trick you. Wizard's going to trick you. Yeah. Careful. It's so pretty cut and dry. A good. They're certainly one of the more villainous, I think. Yeah. And Maybe like bit, with the uh, whole mining thing, like there's all kinds of like uh -huh. things you could have happen. You know, like you have, say you have like dwarves mining and they mine into a spot in the earth that's like unusually close to the elemental plane of earth. And then they mine into like this amazing, you know, almost like they're on the inside of a geode with all the crystals everywhere. And a Dao is like, hey, you're trespassing dwarves yep. your kingdom is mine now yep yeah I, I, that's gotta be in like a published adventure it's gotta be i feel it like i feel like i've already known this <laughs> like this there's, there's there's i i feel like if there's a, a a dwarves accidentally tunnel into like an underground place that's gotta be there's yeah yeah and it's a fitting villain for dwarves too because it's like they've they've mind so deep that they've encountered a, a creature even more greedy than them even more loving of precious gems yeah yeah the next one is the genie d-j-i-n-n-i -N -N -I. proud and sensuous tall attractive dressed in shimmery silks for comfort and to highlight their body they are airy asthetes floating islands of wondrous architecture courtyards and fountains they like comfort and ease and they like flowing wine and they like fruit perfumes it's supposed to be a comma there but fruit perfume sounds nice and they also like beautiful music they will deal with efreet and marids but they hate the dao i think everyone hates the dao yeah these are good. I like the descriptions, usable. You know, it's the thing about the elements is that they definitely suggest typical, predictable things, but they are evocative and, and useful still. Yeah, and sometimes even if it's what you're expecting, if it's what you're expecting and like that's what lands, it's like when a melody resolves, right? It's like, yes, yes, yeah. the floating genie kingdom. That's great. Yeah. Some the cliches are fine yeah. sometimes if you if you follow through on the promise. They are masters of the wind. They ride powerful whirlwinds and even allow passengers. They use wind and thunder to strike at their enemies. They're not above using them as distractions to retreat. And its lower body turns into swirling air when flying. They all have a description of what their lower body turns into when they fly. And it is, big surprise, just the element that they're... Yeah. It's like, you don't, I don't know. You don't need that help? Maybe you do? I don't know. It's fine. Accepting servitors, they believe servitude is a matter of fate, so they don't love it, but they are the most amenable to it. So they treat their own slaves more like servants, like we mentioned above about the good aligned genies, mm -hmm. um, and they part with them reluctantly because they grow fond of them. Mortals can bribe or flatter them into service, and some wizards can simply bind them into wind instruments or bottles. 
genie resent this and they particularly hate betrayal by a mortal they trusted and will bring vengeance upon them yeah so there you have a suggested like storyline of some sort yeah yeah and then we get to efriti hulking masters of flame they wear fine silk caftans damask robes they have magma red or coal black skin they are bedecked in brass and gold torques and chains and rings. And when it flies, it's got fiery bottoms. They are haughty and cruel, deceptive, ruthless. They hate being made to serve and will avenge themselves against anyone who wrongs them, even slightly. They regard themselves as fair and orderly, and they only admit to an enlightened sense of self-interest. So this is kind of neat because it separates them from being like enraged. Yeah. Yeah. They're not they're not enraged. They're just hot headed. They're yeah. just maybe not hot headed, you know. What they what they remind me of, and I haven't I've only seen like bits and pieces of this, but I'm sure somebody listening will 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 think of this too. There's a in the anime My Hero Academia, there's this guy <laughs> Endeavor, who's like a it's just it's it's an anime where every, every like a superpowers are common. It's they're called quarks for some reason, but there's like a famous professional hero named Endeavor and he has fire fire powers and it's like there's a little bit, it's not like the rage of fire, I guess, at the moment, but like it's sort of like it's it's like the this almost like a pridefulness to fire mm-hmm. to it. And like I think that character very much when I think of like an Afridi, it's got an attitude like that guy. And it's it's very much like a sort of characterization of fire, I think. It's Is it like something a, like they have it they have the ability to be powerful and destructive, but yeah. it's like kept under kept in check for the most part? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But it like they're aware of it at all times and it makes them a little more on edge. It's like a lot of a lot of potential energy, you know? Right. That's the Yeah. That's it. They are spiteful slavers. All other creatures are either enemies or potential slaves. They raid the material plane for slaves. They rule as tyrants. They promote cruelty even among their slaves, middle management. And it explicitly says that they give these middle managers whips in case there was any doubt. They are planar raiders. They lived in domed fortresses of black glass and basalt and or surrounded by churning lakes of fire or in the fabled city of brass, which is a big destination place of interest that I think is in some video games and definitely some major supplements. They have military outposts full of minions and slaves scattered throughout the plains. So that's kind of an interesting, unique thing about the Afridi. You can encounter them in a like declared military fort anywhere in the wow. universe. Yeah. That's a pretty cool image. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You're just because what, what what would like what would that look like? That to me is one of those things like in an old video game somewhere in like a easily accessed early level or early landscape. Yeah. You know, when you're like looking, doing a top down bird's eye view, walking around a continent kind of thing, there'd be a place that is like way too dangerous for you to go to yeah. when you're level two. Yeah. And you can only, it's it's got fire coming out of it. There's genies flying around. It's got magic bursting out of it. And you just do not go there until you've accomplished some stuff elsewhere, gain some levels. 
worked your way up to it, and then you can go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like, if you think about, I don't know, I like this idea of them having forts because if you sort of, if you think about like what, like militarily, a fort does, it's it's really just like if you put a fort there, it's like, listen, you don't control the area around this fort unless you can take this fort. Because if you can't take this fort, yeah. then like what? It's it's a like it's very psychological. It's a it's like a statement. Yeah. It's not always like involved in an actual battle. And so like the psychological element of that, if you have this like flaming brass giant sort of thing, just smack dab in the middle of what, you know, like a temperate woodland is like, that's, we're staying away from that. <laughs> like, I, I'm not messing with that thing. Respected and valuable listener, deepest and sincere apologies about the rest of the recording's audio quality. We had some technical difficulties with the software, and it is not up to snuff. But we have punished the machine elves responsible, and we look forward to resuming regular service as soon as possible. If you can't stomach it, I understand. I'm sorry. It's no good. You don't want to listen to stuff that sounds underwater or on an inferior microphone. If I had one wish, it would be for a reliably smoother recording process for the rest of my life. But I promise, if you stick with the rest of the recording, Wes tells a joke for the ages. Please enjoy. Whenever they are in the material plane, they live in volcanoes or burning expanses of desert. In deserts, they... In deserts, they come into contact with Dao and Jin, and they're fine with that. But they've hated Merids throughout their history, which are the water guys. So again, the Dao, if you're keeping track, the Dao are the most hated, Jin, less so. And fire and water hate each other. It's funny to think of, like, fire and water, easy to imagine being opposed to each other. And then air and water, you got to think about like, how does fire feel about air? Not so sure about that one. Yeah. Yeah. It gets weird too, because like, you know, we're used to thinking of what, when you think about like the four elements, the four elementals, it's very much like an ancient Greek thought evolution of that, right? Like you've got the, the, you know, that whole thing. But like, I always, in my brain, I always think about things like in terms of what we actually know in terms of physics and chemistry and it's it's weird when you think about it because like fire what you see the glowing part it's 
solids, just tiny, tiny particles that have gotten so hot that they're, they're, they're glowing. It's not a plasma. People think it's a plasma, but like fire is really sort of like a solid suspended in air and it's hot. Like it's not really either of the other things. And why, I don't know. It's like, when you, when you, when you get to like states of matter, it stops making very much sense, but that's fine. That's not what we're dealing with here. It's not what we're dealing with. That's not why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. We're here to make them fight. So now we get to the fourth and final genie, the Merit, who is a water boy. Yeah. They are among the most wondrous. Even the lowliest Merit sees themselves as superior to the greatest. <laughs> These dogs were totally fine a minute ago, and now they're barking. Even the lowliest Merit sees themselves as superior to the greatest genie of the other elements. They are large and fish-like. They have finely stitched vests and colorful pantaloons. Voices as soft as a sea breeze or loud as a storm breaking against a rocky cliff. And their legs are watery when they fly. It's important to know what a genie's legs are. Yeah, you might not know. Yeah. Yeah. Breaks immersion. They are water lords. This is a big paragraph amounting to the fact that it just does whatever with water. You know, <laughs> it can even turn itself into a mist. That's like the no notable part. But it's like a water bender. It shoots water, throws water, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Merid homes. They are rare on the material plane. They are mighty and majestic coral fortresses in the plane of water containing opulent air-filled chambers where slaves and guests reside. I think that's weak. This is obvious adventurer pandering because yeah. why do you have big pockets of air? I guess for your slaves, but yeah. like, wouldn't it be easy to get like mermaid slaves or there's plenty of underwater humanoid it... slave candidates. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a, you're, you're a genie. Awaken some like fish and and cephalopods and uh, like congratulations you're fully sapient now but also you're my indentured servants like yeah get get a little creative you know unless it's like an aquarium for them like having an underwater terrarium is a sign of wealth or something <laughs> so like yeah yeah the more impoverished marids only have water creatures <laughs> serving them and then it's like, right, but like a really wealthy one has like, have you seen my camel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has creatures really ill suited to be there. And that's the sign of wealth. They don't expect much from their slaves. They just want them for status. And in that along to that idea, they like skilled slaves, artists wow. and entertainers for their courts. So they don't actually have to like, work or labor they're not miners they're not doing dangerous offshore oil drilling they are just like singing songs and juggling and maybe making some like even flashier pantaloons yeah they have egotistical hierarchs all marids claim title of nobility so every marid is like a shah or a sultan and most of these titles are pretense. Most of them aren't, actually. They just call themselves whatever. They believe themselves better than all other genies, and they tolerate the jinn, they dislike the Tao, and they despise the Afrit. 
Humanoids are among the lowest creatures by their reckoning, but they will hang out with wizards or exceptional leaders on almost equal footing. So that kind of does away with our idea of humans as being like cooler to own. Yeah. I like that, like specifically wizards. I was like, well, you know, you know, some cool magic stuff, so we can we can talk. Yeah, and they, it mentions wizards specifically, I think, because the next line is says, "This sometimes leads to them being imprisoned in conch shells, flasks, and decanters." So, every other genie has a line about how wizards trap them and stuff. So the reason they hang out with wizards is so that they can be trapped from a like design <laughs> point of view. I the lesson here is don't hang out with Don't wizards. hang out with wizards. Yeah. No matter how cool they seem. They are whimsical storytellers. As a uh, astute listeners might notice you'll hear a dog barking. I'm a uh, dog sitting for the evening. And I'm tired of re redoing a line when princess zelda barks so we're gonna keep keep we're gonna keep it all in and she is a princess she's 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 entitled to bark what she wants it's her home so she can do what she wants yeah the other dog is named peach and they're the princesses so they are champion champion storytellers favorite legends emphasize marriage supremacy you heard of a champion storyteller. That implies that there's like competitions, which like there certainly there are, right? There, yeah, <laughs> I, for sure. I like that. Definitely. Yeah. And I like that the best of the favorite ones are ones that emphasize marriage supremacy. So you can imagine a married storytelling contest being one in which like who can pump up marriage the most. Yeah, yeah. While like an adventurer who has to like a, a human fighter who has to hear them do this just makes like the jack off sign with his hands. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they are creative and frequent liars, and they hate being interrupted. So this sounds like a way to so marriage like seem like cool, you know, they're not gonna <laughs> mess with you too hard and not too interested in keeping you as. A slave unless you show a particular entertaining talent or something yeah but you will have to listen to them talk so if you're going to role play as a dm a merit you might want to like print out get chat gpt to make you like a long-winded blustery self-aggrandizing speech yeah yeah and what what a great way to like if you got a player who's you know like a barbarian who doesn't like to put up with a lot of pointless talking and, and social posturing what a, what a great way to just spur them to just like enough of this enough of this you know like like a good role-playing character this like i'm imagining a married court would be so antagonizing to certain kind of characters most players i'd imagine just like wanting to yeah. instigate and yeah. move on. okay so that is all the text to do with the descriptions of these things and then we can look at their stats and their abilities and we can sort them out a little bit this way so they all turn into something when they die this is in their stat block oddly i mean it's kind of arbitrary because they have in each description they have what their bottom half looks like and then in their stats it has what they look like when they die and it's what you'd imagine 
a little powder dust when the Dow dies, a little burst of smoke and sulfur when the Efreet dies. They all have innate spellcasting with appropriate elemental spells and immunities. And then we get into the more finer details and the differences looking at their alignments. So the Dao is neutral evil, the genie is chaotic good, the Efreet is lawful evil, and the Merid is chaotic neutral. And that yeah. gives you like a good line for it. That, that... A good framework. Yeah, and <laughs> I just think that, that that really tracks with the, the the way they're all described too. Yeah. And the Dao, they get advantage on strength and dex saves. They have a big maul that can knock you prone, and they have a burrow speed. Genie has a scimitar that does lightning or thunder damage, and they can create a whirlwind that restrains. And the Ifrit have fire damage, and they can hurl flame. And the Merit has a trident, and it can shoot water that bludgeons you and pushes you 20 feet away. And those are the things that separate them. And noticeably absent wishes. Nothing, yeah. nothing about them says they can grant wishes. No ability to... Actually, let me just double check to make sure they don't have wish as an at-will spell. I, I believe there is like an alternative stat block in the dungeon master's guide that gives them a wish spell but I, I i could be wrong about that that sounds like something that they that would be true no nothing about a wish so it's just kind of up to you to decide if there are one of them noble genies that can do the wishes or not and there's no rules about that so it's up to you also, there's no information as to why or how they get trapped into objects. Each every description, each of the four descriptions kind of gives you examples of like kinds of elementally appropriate containers for them to be trapped in, but there's no there's no reason why they're susceptible to this and how it all works. Right. So you just kind of intuitively know as a person who's like absorbed stories from childhood onward. You just kind of understand that that's just what happens. Yeah, it would be cool, like if there were, you know, like like in-game mechanisms for that. Because like I'm imagining a vampire hunter, you know, carrying around stakes and 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 silver and holy water and things like that. But like a genie hunter <laughs> having empty lamps and whatever other magical materials are needed, to like bind a genie yeah. to a lamp or a vessel of some kind, and like a list of compliments. Yeah, <laughs> tailored compliments for each type. Yeah, ways of buttering them up, which they seem particularly vulnerable to. And each, they're all kind of concerned with, like, being betrayed. In this way, that kind of reminds me of, like, how... It's kind of juvenile of, like, I can be your... I can be your, your angel or your devil... Yeah. And then we have two of those little extra kind of in-world document blurbs that they sometimes include, like, next to the illustrations. And this one, one we actually mentioned in the previous episode, Jeff LaSalle pointed out that there's 
a long-winded greeting delivered by a gargoyle. That's way more, has like a much larger vocabulary. Suggests that gargoyle is way, way more educated than you'd probably, than the book even tells you they are. And then the second one here that I'll read, the armies of the Grand Sultan are bolstered by legions of devils, his palace warded by the spells of a thousand archmages, his treasures guarded by red dragons and fire elementals. No one has plundered the Afridi's fabled vaults and lived to tell the tale. By the grace of a thousand winds, you could be the first. A genie enticing adventurers to free her caliph from a magic lamp in the charcoal palace of the city of brass. So that's an example of one genie asking you for help to free a noble genie who is trapped in a magic lamp, mm. which is, you know, good. Take that, run with it. Multiple genies, yeah. you've, got, yeah. you've got all these genies running around, so have like more than one kind in, a same, in the same plot or adventure, or whatever. Quick note on that I found interesting. Caliph. It's an odd thing to put into D D because So they're trying they're trying to branch out and do non European centric fantasy, which I applaud mm-hmm. and is kind of necessary and good. But Caliph, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe it is a very specifically Islamic term. And it is regarded to mean successor of the Prophet Muhammad. Hmm. And the caliphate, or khalifa in Arabic, denotes the office of the political leader of the Muslim community or state, particularly during the period 632 to 1258. So it's not just like, a, it's not just king. It's not just another word for king or, or leader or whatever. It's like a very particular religious term yeah and it's that's that's weird because it's to me it's like okay well that's that's maybe like sort of using that as a throwback to the 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 genie and the ifrit specifically being you know mentioned in the the quran and stuff like that but it also is like a it's like a weird confusing thing to try to parse out like what that what those sort of translate to in this setting because of that you know yeah, like, like is uh, god yeah. real in your D land the abrahamic god yeah it could be it's just it's not done very much but there's there's no there's no rule that says you can't yeah i think it's just a another example of the the D habit of making a particular thing out of every word in the in the thesaurus yeah yeah expector ghost wraith they're all the same thing but they mean different things in a D world so like they're just trying to like king what do the merits call themselves yeah. sultans khedives yeah. and they could be they could be weirdly and i don't know i i, I almost want to say like naively banking on the fact that people aren't gonna know that about the word khalif and be like yeah that sounds like a genie thing and then move on 100 <laughs> percent. yeah <laughs> yeah okay which yeah. you know if it's your world maybe that word can mean that in that world you know yeah i mean you don't um, not every every game session needs to be an opportunity for becoming more worldly 
and uh, gaining an understanding of the universe. Sometimes yeah. you can you can just say it. Yeah, like you, you can call your king a czar and not have there be an ancient ruler called Caesar that that is a translation of, you know, like you don't have to have ancient Rome in your history to have somebody called a czar, you know? Yeah, eventually you're just, unless you're Tolkien, you're going to fail, like, creating the whole thing from scratch. So, yeah, don't get, don't get twisted, but just know that Khalif, pretty particular. <laughs> yes. So that is the end of... The descriptions of the genie in the monster manual. The genies in D&D history, they've been pretty much the same from what I could find. They first appeared in the original white box set in 1974, and they appeared in various adventures, and they kind of exploded in the lore in the advanced Dungeons & Dragons age in the like mid to late 80s and 90s. There's a whole bunch of creatures called tasked genies, which each of them had their own stat block, but they were each tied to they they were they themselves were like slave genies. So you had a slave genie who like operated a mill, or like a wind like a wind yeah. genie, a, a, a genie who would power a, a mill and like couldn't stop doing that. There's a reference to that style of genie in a one of the like it's an actual play video. What is it called? It, it, Adventure High, which is like a, the the Brendan Lee Malkin like D and D video series. But there's a in the Adventure High, so it's high school students based D and D game, and they go to like a malt shop, and the malt shop is run by a genie who can only grant ice cream related wishes. <laughs> and that's so he's he runs this malt shop. He can make any kind of ice cream you want, but he's very also sad about that. Yeah. It's like yes, I can make any. And, but like it, it's sort of like he knows what he could have I don't know if he was cursed or if that's just his nature but he could only grant ice cream yeah he's just been bound I do like the idea yeah yeah he's one of those genies who got bound and that's that's cool because you see like how they work and how attractive it would be for a wizard to find a genie to just like use as a as a minecraft power source yeah yeah totally and then, and I think in the in the, all the various adventure adventures that they were in during the AD and D and previous era, they're all pretty individualistic. Like they're not like a race, or you don't you don't encounter like a group of them and have to fight them in a tunnel. It's more like each one is an, a talking, wheeling and dealing NPC that you have to contend with. Mm-hmm. And then in third edition, they introduced the noble genie, and they are one percent of the total genie population. And it, 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 in their description, it is explicit that they will grant you three wishes if you can capture them. But there's no information, at least in the material I read, about how that actually works. So presumably, you stuff them in a in a bottle. If you follow the stick a bag over the head, push him in there. You gotta seal it though. That's the thing. So I think it's I think it's gotta be a sealable container. And in the movie The Thief of Baghdad, the the thief of Baghdad opens a bottle and there happens to be a genie inside, and the genie tries to kill him, but the the thief convinces him to show off his prowess as a genie by 
fitting his massive form back into the bottle. And the genie goes for it, and then the thief runs up and plugs it again. So I think all you have to do is just like is just seal the bottle, and they can't get out of it for all their power. Yeah, and they're so prideful that you just gotta you just you, you just gotta redirect them in the right they're direction. They're really dumb. You, know, you can get it. <laughs> yeah, they see they're really trusting. They're extre- they're extremely powerful, but they are because of that they they don't have a human cunning. Yeah, and like they have such like an immediate aversion to like having anybody have any control over them that like that's when they have like a hard limit like a hard line like absolutely not i need to be at the top of the hierarchy that makes them easier to manipulate because you you know the rule you you know you have to pivot around yeah it's, it's easy to figure out what they want and you can use that to your advantage and then in the fourth edition we get into the elemental thing and they, oh, actually, even in, in previous editions, even in the original, I think, at least as far, at least a second edition, they're split up into different elements. But with the the primacy of the elemental evils, they really kind of doubled down on the elemental difference between different genies. And in the Forgotten Realms, there are a bunch of particular genies who factor into a lot of the novels and adventures. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but there is a there is a, a, a particular Freedy who's like the 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 leader, like the who we we talked about this a bit before, but there's a specific named Ifrit that is like the Sultan of the city of Brass. Right. Yeah. But I don't know it, and I'm not too familiar yeah. with it, so I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure we will learn about it on Facebook. So now we dig into the complicated but kind of satisfyingly the the etymology and origins of the idea of a genie kind of it's it's interesting and it makes sense and it's the kind of thing that doesn't happen too often. So what happened was in a nutshell two different words from two different language families sounded the same but have different origins but a similar enough meaning to collide so we'll start off with the individual names of these guys we've got the jinn and uh, jinn and it's spelled different ways sometimes books got it d j i n n i you can also do it with, without the D and without the I at the end. But the important part is the JNN, at least some combination of that. It's an Arabic collective noun deriving from a Semitic root J, JNN or Jan. And the primary meaning of it is to hide or to adapt. Um, and some authors interpret the word to mean literally beings that are concealed from the senses. And it's kind of a, an overall term for, for these beings. The Afrit yeah, is... Cool. Do you have something to say? Oh, no, that just, I, it's, that's just... It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's all. It sure is. We're making a whole podcast out of it. It better be. The Afrit, the word derives from the Quran, but is a, an, 
an epithet and not to designate a specific type of demon. It's not found in pre-Islamic poetry, where a lot of other things concerning genies are found. Study Those who study Arab languages trace the, the, the word to afara, or to rub with dust, or to roll into dust. It is often used to describe things that are sly or malicious and wicked. Some Western language, what are they called, philologists? Some Western philologists suggest that there's a foreign origin of the word and attribute it to a Middle Persian word meaning to create, but this is contentious. In folklore, the term is developed into a designation of a specific class of demon, although most of the time in Islamic scholarly traditions, they are, it's an adjective. And it means a dangerous kind of demon, preying, usually preying on women or, or they are spirits of the dead. So they're like dangerous spirits or dangerous genie, malicious genies. And then the merid is also a type of powerful devil. The Arabic word meaning rebellious is applied to such supernatural beings. There is a book called the Arabic English Lexicon and it cites Merid as said to be applied to an evil genie of the most powerful class, but this distinction isn't universal. There's no consensus. And in the text where it appears, mostly the 1001 Arabian Nights, the words Merid and Ifrit are used interchangeably within the same story. So inconclusive and kind of up for grabs to interpret in the way D&D likes to just grab the thesaurus words. Yeah. And finally, the Tao. There's nothing. <laughs> I couldn't find anything. I found a bunch of Reddit threads of people asking the same question and no one could come up with a an obvious answer. And partly because the difficulty in Googling Tao because, yeah. the, because of Taoism. Yeah, you get Taoism, and you get like a the Tao, which is a, also a style of Chinese sword. Right. And uh, yeah, so it's likely totally fabricated. There's no information; little is known. And I, I saw somebody even replied in one of these threads that Tao isn't even like it's not even possible in Arabic. <laughs> like it's just not something. It's not right. a word that would have ever just come up. There's no. There's no background to it. Right. Yeah. So that's fun. That's what D&D is good for. That's why that's why none of the other genies like them. Yeah, they're not from around here.
So, yeah, to get to Genie, we have to understand what Genie, what Jin were. So we've already established that Jin or Jin were, what do we say, creatures of no substance? Mm-hmm. Or are they beings that are concealed from the senses? Yes, yes. They feature prominently in writings in the pre-Islamic in pre-Islamic Arabia, and they persisted in, and still do in Islamic culture and beliefs. So the Quran makes it explicit that they are like humans, they are accountable for their deeds, and they can either be believers or unbelievers, depending on whether or not they accept God's guidance. There's no guarantee that they will. And they have equal footing with humans under God. Um, They are not innately evil or innately good. They're not strictly an Islamic concept. And they they probably represent a whole bunch of different pagan beliefs that were integrated into Islam. And it's kind of unique in that, like, like Christianity did the same thing. I think all of any, any dominating religion sort of absorbs like more local religions into them is why we have like santa and christmas and trees and stuff yeah but not all of them make like they don't make it like the santa's not in the bible (laughs) you know yeah Uh, yeah but the genie are which is interesting it's like in order it's not just like kind of done on the side and we just won't talk about it it's like they're in there and they have rules. Yeah, it's really interesting to take like you've got these other spirits that like for other religions would be like outside of the religious framework, but like with the genies in Islam, it seems like no, no, those other spirits that like are 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 part of the belief systems like elsewhere, those also you you can you can you can fit those into the whole worldview here, and they're also subject to judgment from God. You know, yeah. like that's a really interesting way to handle um other spirits you know yeah and they're very real they're very real but they don't have any affinity with god there's no direct connection which is an interesting like place for them to be like you're saying they're they're like spirits and they have primordial powers and domains but they like they're just here like us there's no they're not they're yeah. not angels they're and this totally is, separate from angels and, and demons and this is this is way way outside of my wheelhouse but then my question is like well, so where did they come from then like they're also subject to judgment but where do they come from right yeah well they're all created by god i guess yes okay they're just a separate kind of being from us and they have powers and abilities and they're mysterious but they're they you know they gotta they gotta put one one shoe on at a time, just like us. Yeah. There there has to be ancient aliens theories about this, right? <laughs> like there's gotta be. For sure, because there's there's a whole like because they the like genies cover a whole different swath of pagan beliefs from different uh, different regions, like you know, this this sweeps over all kinds of territory. There's what are they called? Tudor spirits? 
Mm-hmm. So ones that like teach you things, and there are good the good genies, and then there are like dangerous genies who inhabit places that are dangerous out in nature and you just don't go there because people keep like breaking their legs or slipping on the trail or you know stuff like that so there's a whole i got lost reading and i forgot what your comment was and why i was talking about that oh just how it's how it's how it's interesting to incorporate how like the way the genies fit into like like islam is really is really interesting a way of like incorporating other spiritual beliefs into one larger one you know it's good management it's good brand management because it allows people to continue believing in things that they aren't going to give up without making them hide it and then be and then in the act of hiding that's a form of disobedience and, yeah. and, then, and then they're not actually on your side, right? But if, if you incorporate them and you allow them into the same cosmos and picture and you can still like deal with them, but the rule is you can't worship them and you can't seek protection from them. That's the rule. Yeah, yeah. You know what it reminds me of? This is, <laughs> this, is, it, and I'll, this is a tangent, I'll be quick though. It reminds me of the movie Contact. Uh-huh based on the Carl Sagan book. And in that, there's all the people, the religious protesters protesting, trying to like get in touch with the aliens that, that sent a message because somehow somehow the existence of aliens was supposed to contradict, you know, the existence of God somehow. And the whole time I was thinking, and I don't remember if Matthew McConaughey's character makes this point, it was like, why don't you just say that the, God made the aliens too? Just say that. <laughs> Like it's not it's that's that's not a difficult patch to make. No, right? not at all. Like you can just like, oh no, yeah, the gray aliens <laughs> or whoever, you know, the crash land on Roswell. Yeah, they also get judged. They also yeah. God 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 decides what goes on like it's it's no big deal. He also made the other planets with life. It's fine. It's fine. I never really got the controversy there, but 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 I'm me, so Yeah, there's some parts of it. It that... seems like with a with genie, some you know Islamic scholars had the same thought that I had. It's like, no, 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 this this fits. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, there's no trouble here. Move along. Or it could be like in communion, where the aliens are Jesus. Yeah, I guess it can't be because we're separating them here. But I just wanted to mention that insane movie. <laughs> yeah. And so, Jin. In, in these stories, they are composed of thin and subtle bodies, and they can change at will. They can turn into snakes, but they can also appear as scorpions or lizards, and sometimes humans. And in a lot of pre-Islamic illustrations, you can, on like pottery and many other like designs, Often, if you see snakes, they're, they're supposed to be a reference to genies, which kind of goes back to the early days of Monster Manual Mash. Are you still there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Oh, no. Can you hear me at all? Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Well, Reaper's still working. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine. I heard you the whole time. Oh, weird. But I don't know why it dropped me, and I just switched my mic input and then back again, and we're okay. All right. Well, I can I can hear you great now. I was talking about snakes. 
Do you hear me talk about snakes? Yeah. Yeah, and and scorpions. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, they can turn into snakes and scorpions and lizards, and they show up in iconography as snakes pretty often. And that kind of goes back to maybe some things that we talked about in the early days of Monster Manual Mash. We seem to be talking about snakes a lot. And snakes and birds, the eternal enemies of man. Yeah. And the yeah. snakes having a sort of like scary, mysterious power because they come from the earth without arms and legs. So they kind of are like these primordial biting monsters. Yeah. And in these stories, they can even engage in sexual affairs with humans and produce offspring, which is referenced in the D&D descriptions. If, they're, if they are injured by people, they usually seek revenge or possess the assailant's body and refuse to leave it until forced to do so by exorcism. Mm -hmm. So that ties into, like, most, most cultures have some sort of possession stories. And the, yeah, yeah. The genies are no exception. The jinn do not usually meddle in human affairs and they prefer to live with their own kind in tribes similar to those of pre-Islamic Arabia. So you get jinn as the, the idea of the other, perhaps, of just being other people, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then individual jinn appear on charms and talismans, and they used to be called upon for protection and aid, often under the leadership of a king. And many people who believe in jinn, they wear, wear, wear amulets to protect themselves against the assaults of the jinn, which are sent out by sorcerers and witches. There's a commonly held belief that jinn cannot hurt someone who wears something with the name of God written on it. And while some Muslim scholars in the past have had ambivalent attitudes towards sorcery, um, believing that good jinn do not require one to commit sin, but most contemporary Muslim scholars associate dealing with jinn is, is idolatry. So you can't even, mm -hmm. you can't even hang out with the good ones. Mm. So then... You've got, like, how do we get to genie? The word as we understand it. So genie first turns up in the mid-17th century from, no, sorry, genie was adopted in the current sense by the 18th century French translators of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, which is the first translation of the 1001 Nights series of stories, mm -hmm. which it's retitling it the Arabian Nights Entertainments. It sounds like a, it's like a kind of a shoddy, there's going to be like belly dancing while you yeah. uh, order a barbecue or something. It also sounds like a very recent name for a thing, you know, like it sounds, it sounds a bit, that's a very contemporary name for something. Yeah doesn't really do it justice like their entertainments i guess the but it's a short story book it's pretty ostentatious to call a book of like stories entertainments because this book yeah we'll get to we'll get to the word the latin genius which is what was crashed into the word genie or gin to get genie so in roman culture each individual place had a genius or a genius loci and also powerful objects or locations as 
did as well, like volcanoes or large mountains or specific lakes and bodies of water. The concept extended to some specifics, so you would get the genius of theater, vineyards, and festivals, and you would have to kind of pay respect to these genius loci to get successful performances and to get the grapes to grow. It was extremely important in the Roman mind to give props to the appropriate genie or genii for the major undertakings and events of life. And they get, you, you right. can get pretty like granular with it. So there's like, not only would there be a genie of like vineyards, but there'd be a genie of like crushing grapes of like particular tasks. Right. And they, these, these almost like a, like a, like a patron saint or like a, like a, like a Hindu God. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And these were in these like more polytheistic times, these were like not named things like they wouldn't have like a saint of it but it was like by recognizing that there is a presence innate to the the action of what you're doing there's like a spirit and you don't know its name but you know what it's about and it likes it likes doing what you're doing to be done well so everything's got a spirit to respect and it's believed like there's a a generous if you want to look fondly on this on this practice you could say that they by by respecting and giving worshiping these genius loci they were venerating something higher and more divine than they could find in themselves in their in their, in their own limited individuality so by like respecting these spirits you're kind of like acknowledging the divine in these mundane actions. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a Augustine, the Christian theologian equates the Christian soul with the Roman genius. And as a place where your, your rational powers and abilities of every human being is attributed to the genius as you might to the soul. And it's like the genius is like a thing. So a human being has a genius and whatever talents and abilities you have are yours because of the genius and not because of you. It's a thing that exists like sort of in you and around you, but isn't like yours necessarily. Right. It's kind of tied into a muse in some ways, but the muse is like, yeah, is like a more definite separate entity. Whereas the genius is like kind yeah. of of you, but not you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky, like it's, it's one of those concepts where like, I feel like, I feel like I understand it pretty well that I would have, have a hard time giving a down pat definition of like what makes specifically a genius a genius in this context. Definitely. And I, I also think yeah. I have a handle on it, but there's probably some like lived experience of the idea that you're missing, that I'm missing in, des- in describing it. Yes. You know? Yeah. There's only so much you can really understand by reading. But you can sort of understand. Yeah, first... go ahead. Yeah, well the first the first place mine go my mine goes. This is this is this is lost me, but I'm thinking about like the Romans like sort of like a, getting a lot like sort of a lot of their a lot of Roman culture sort of being 
kind of growing out of ancient Greek culture. And there's there a lot of like looking back to ancient Greek culture and like absolutely a lot of Roman culture would be looking back at ancient Greek philosophy, specifically Aristotle and Plato. And like with the idea of it, like a, a genius, a genius loci in, with like places and tasks, it seems very heavily tied to like a platonic idea. Like, like there is a abstract space that is more real than this space where there's a perfect example of a task or an idea or an object or a thing. And that's what we need to look towards. And it sort of seems like that evolving into almost like a common folk belief of like, okay, if we're, if we're doing this task, if we're doing this thing in this place, there's like a, a abstract, more real version of that that exists that we should acknowledge in pursuing that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Zelda agrees. Great. Thank you, Zelda. The idea isn't limited to like the tasks either. It is, it's used to be sort of like household guardian spirits and uh, yeah, things that are yeah. just innate, innate. There's a, it's innate to groups as things that are, that kind of like capture the, the spirit of a particular group or, or place. Yeah. It's kind of like how when you're in a certain place or with a certain group of people, there's like a general vibe. There's like a background yes, emotion the vibe. to the whole experience. It's like the genius loci is like the name. It's like a naming of that, you know? Oh, you know what? The Tao. So the Tao is another, There's you could yeah. pronounce it Tao or Tao, I think. But in Taoism, it's all about the way. And, you know, I'm also kind of speaking out of my depth here yeah. but from what i understand of Taoism, it's like the way you can talk about isn't the way the way is something it's like the innate it's kind of it's kind of this it's the innate spirit of a thing without it does away with yeah. the sort of like the entity of a spirit or the genius but it is descriptive of the 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 act of something being an end in and of itself and there's like a good there's yeah. there's following the way of something and if you just follow the way it's not about being good or bad it's just like it's just doing what the thing wants to be it's like crushing grapes yeah. the way yeah. crushing grapes wants to be done yeah 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 those who say do not know and those who know do not say whoa yeah. So I think now that we've been talking about um, this, I think this might be why the yeah. uh, why Gygax chose to name the Tao the Tao and everything else is named after genies and geniuses and stuff. Yeah, I see the through line. Absolutely. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, that's cool. We cracked the code. I'm gonna get on Reddit as soon as I can. The genius the genius was even like it kind of became like a semi religious thing and this this kind of illustrates the the degree to which genius was something romans loved so octavius caesar is you know big big roman guy he comes back to <laughs> yeah. rome after the final victory in the roman civil war at the battle of actium he appears to the senate and he arrives and he's a great man of power and success and to mark his return or to uh, his, his return is clearly a mark of divinity. So this is all probably propaganda, but in recognition of the prodigy, because he was quite young, they voted that all banquets should include a libation to his genius. And in concession to the sentiment, he chose the name Augustus 
capturing the numinous meaning of English August or August. And then the household cult of the genius Augusti dates from this period. And it was it was toasted at every meal along with the other household noumena, so the, whatever geniuses of the house. So you would toast the local genius, and then you would say, and to, well, what's up, August, Augustus. And then the Roman Imperial, this began the, the tradition. Oh my God, Zelda. Thus began the tradition of the Roman imperial cult in which Romans worshipped the genius of the emperor rather than the person. Which is kind of, uh, that's how you get your Warhammer 40k, basically. The emperor as oh, a yeah. spirit, as a god that you're actually worshipping. And they would find, there are all these little imperial sculpted, these these heads he sculpted heads of Augustus that were found on a bunch of Roman soldiers. Oh man. Imagine, imagine, imagine you get to a point in life where people are just carrying on busts of your head around. That's how you know you've made it. <laughs> as, the, as they go to war, you know? Yeah. Because that's not an easy thing to carry around. I'm surprised like, Kanye West doesn't have like little busts of himself for sale. Oh my or, God. Elon Musk oh, right. could do that. One of yeah, it, it is surprising that like one of these like mega celebrities, celebrity narcissists, isn't selling Greco-Roman style busts of themselves. I know they're they're leaving denarii on the table, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. So then these these things, the genius and the jinn, they are they are smashed together for the one thousand and one Arabian Nights French translation genie so it combines the latin genius loci with the jinn of pre-islamic and islamic texts and it was incredibly popular when it was published and it basically it has persisted in popularity ever since with little spikes in, in its uh, like mainstream appeal yeah yeah like aladdin 2 prince of thieves <laughs> Straight to VHS. <laughs> yeah, peaks and valleys. Peaks and valleys. The genies, as we understand them now, we get most of our material from this book, which is the 1001. It's called different things. Originally, in the original Arabic, I think it's just called 1001 Nights. 
and mm -hmm. we need to make sure that we know that it's Arabian. So we through in English translations, we slapped on Arabian Nights, 1001 Arabian Nights. But the original French yeah. translation translates into English as the Arabian Nights Entertainment. As we just uh which which really which sounds like a shady talent agency. It, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. Not great. If you saw that on a van, you'd I don't know. I'd check it out. So I haven't read this. I have a copy of it. I flipped through it, but I haven't actually I've never learned too much about it, but it sounds pretty fascinating because it is a giant, like, nested story. Mm -hmm. So there's a framing device where there's, like, a king who's being told a story by his, his queen. And then in each story, another character starts telling another story. And... You'll go deep, and then you'll kind yeah. of you'll you'll penetrate deeper into the story, and then you'll start pulling out, and then there'll be little waves where it rides like a second or third level story before pulling back out. And then you get back to the king and the queen talking to each other. And then you start like diving back. So in. wait, is it is it mm -hmm. is it recursive at points? Like, are there stories within stories? Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, it it does it. Love the whole that. book is like that. And then it take that Canterbury Tales. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like most things, the pre-Islamic world did it first and did it better. And the in each night, I believe that it's separated into the different nights. And every night is when the story pulls back to the original the queen telling the story to the king. And then the next night it starts again and they go deep and deep and deeper and deeper and then start pulling out. But it, it ebbs and flows too. And this is where we get particularly three stories to do with genies that have persisted and are uh, the most ripped off. So we get Aladdin's wonderful lamp and mm -hmm. the fisherman and the genie and the merchant and the genie. And uh, I might kind of summarize the last two, but I'm going to read this this little more detailed version of Aladdin's Wonderful Lamp, because this will set the record straight about what Aladdin is really about. So Aladdin, here's another, so before I start that, something else to note about the 1001 Nights is that the tales in it trace their roots back to ancient and medieval era literature in Arabic and Sanskrit and Persian and Mesopotamian mythology. So it's like all over the place. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the tales were folklore during two specific medieval eras. And then others are actually translations, including the frame story, the one about the king and the queen, are translations of older Indian texts. And many of them were editions by the French translator who wrote his own stories, including the Aladdin story. Aladdin's Wonderful Lamp is a complete original by a white dude, including it in the Arabian Nights book. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm imagining that, like, in addition to, like, regular, you know, like, bog standard Western ignorance of things, 
I'm wondering if like all of that, those 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 different sort of geographical and historical aspects to the Thousand and One Nights contribute to this like weird running theme in a lot of like Western media of like this desert kingdom that is just an amalgamation of like civilizations <laughs> in arid places from vastly different parts of like you know like 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 time and space do you know what i mean i think so like, yeah you mean like like dune or like just the notion of these places as like non-particular well, states yeah i'm thinking of like one one like one pretty obvious example i'm thinking of is like in a, in the actual like a disney movie aladdin there's like imagery from like egypt and india yeah it's all kind of and arabia yeah. in this place and like the sultan is wearing like Ottoman Empire attire <laughs> from like a completely different place, and like I'm thinking of like in Diablo two, you've got like a what's the what's the in Act two when you're in the desert and loot Galen, right? And it's just like here's this mashup of like every desert culture. It's a little Egyptian, it's a little yeah. Mesopotamian, and then I'm thinking of like a Gerudo town in Zelda games. Like it's just sort of like yeah, you know, like an ancient ancient desert kingdom and but like actually we're mashing together ideas from things that are 100 percent, thousands of years and thousands of miles apart 100 percent, and it happens all the time in all cultures <laughs> even like in yeah. D, we yeah. just mentioned how the like the caliph you know like specific thing yeah you need yeah. a specific thing but because no one presumably no one who wrote D D fifth edition monster manual was muslim that's a big assumption yeah. but like maybe probably no one no one who was muslim probably read that and thought that was a good idea and you see it in like and i'm imagining i'm imagining that like i forget what it's called but in the forgotten realms there's a you know like a arabian kingdom analog but it sort of just seems like the the, the fantasy desert sort of place and so you'd have like sultans who live in pyramids yeah. <laughs> and things like that <laughs> yeah yes definitely this is, and this story, Aladdin's Wonderful Net by Antoine Galland, <laughs> is, is one of the greatest examples of that, probably. <laughs> yeah. So he yeah. apparently, I think if you dig into it, he says that this is a story that was like told to him by someone. But that could be bullshit. Yeah. In any case, it's funny. The backstory of a story that has a framing device has its own <laughs> framing device. Yeah it's all made up yeah so in this story aladdin is an impoverished young ne'er-do-well he lives in one of the cities of china so he's not even like pseudo arabic he's pseudo chinese but that's like that's exotic enough to be like in the same like it may as well be a desert planet with pyramids everywhere He's recruited by a sorcerer who passes himself off as the brother of Aladdin's late father, Mustafa the tailor, convincing Aladdin and his mother of his goodwill by pretending to set up the lad as a wealthy merchant. But the sorcerer's real motive is to persuade the young Aladdin to get a oil lamp. He needs this oil lamp retrieved from a booby-trapped magic cave. So this is all pretty familiar so far, I think. After the sorcerer attempts to double-cross him, Aladdin finds himself trapped in the cave. He's still wearing the, a magic ring that the sorcerer lent to him to help him in his search. And when he rubs his hands in despair, he inadvertently rums the ring and the genie appears and releases him from the cave 
and allows him to return to his mother while in possession of the lamp. And then, when his mother tries to clean the lamp so they can sell it to buy food for their supper, a second, far more powerful genie appears, who is bound to do the bidding of the person holding the lamp. With the aid of the genie of the lamp, Aladdin becomes rich and powerful, and he marries Princess Badrul Badur, the sultan's daughter, after magically foiling her marriage to the vizier's son. The genie builds Aladdin and his bride a wonderful palace, far more magnificent than the sultan's even. But the, the original sorcerer who set Aladdin up to, to find the ring and then left him in the trapped cave hears of Aladdin's good fortune, and he returns. He gets his hands on the lamp by tricking Aladdin's wife, who is unaware of the lamp's importance, by offering to exchange new lamps for old. So it's just a dingy old lamp. She gets rid of it. He orders the genie of the lamp to take the palace, along with all its contents, to his home in a different country. Aladdin still has the magic ring and is able to summon the lesser genie. And the, the genie of the ring cannot directly undo any of the magic of the genie of the lamp. So there we have uh, genie hierarchy. And like, yeah, we got a noble genie and we got our we're a stat block genie. Yeah. But yeah. he is able to transport Aladdin with the help of the woman's wiles of the princess. You don't know what that means. But he recovers the lamp and slays the sorcerer and he returns the palace to its proper place. But then, third act twist, the sorcerer's more powerful and evil brother plots to destroy Aladdin for killing his brother <laughs> by disguising himself as an old woman known for her healing powers. Badrul Badur falls for his disguise and commands the woman to stay in her palace in case of any illnesses. But Aladdin is warned of the danger by the genie of the lamp and slays the imposter, and then Aladdin eventually succeeds to his father-in-law's throne. So there you have, I think, the origin of the Robin Williams genie, too. The, like, more, the pluckier, down-to-earth genie. He's the blue guy. And yeah. Then yeah. At the end of Aladdin, he turns into, what's his name? the evil sorcerer turns into the big ass genie Jafar. Jafar. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. So you get a bunch of, a bunch of the tropes there. Shape-shifting genie hierarchy, giving, giving wishes in return for being released in the, in the thief of Baghdad. It's just kind of like a one-off. Actually, it's not a one-off scene. I think it continues on, but he finds, genie in a bottle he, he just wants to open the bottle for something to drink and it came out of the ocean so he can't drink that but he thinks there's, there's fresh water in it he opens it it's a genie who is a big evil mean brute and he claims that he's been trapped in the bottle for 2,000 years and for the first thousand he swore that he would grant the wish of whoever freed him but then he waited a thousand years and nobody came and he got more and more frustrated and disgruntled and then swore for the next thousand years that any, the first person who freed him, he would kill. Mm -hmm. And then he, he picks up the thief and he's going to kill him. And the thief is like, if you're so cool and powerful, why don't you stuff yourself back in the bottle? And he does and uh, just corks the bottle and the genie's like, ah, uh, god damn it. Okay, I'll give you three wishes if you let me out. And then <laughs> the thief 
is trying to think of his first wish, but he's so hungry that he can't. And he's, he wishes he had some of the sausages his mother used to make. And then the genie gives him sausages and like tells him he wasted a wish. And then he's got two more and they think he used them in the, in the rest of the course of the story. Yeah. And uh, that is a film from the forties or fifties. And most of that comes from this next story, the fisherman and the genie. There's a poor fisherman who casts his net and he catches first a dead donkey, then a pitcher of dirt and shards of pottery and glass. And the fourth time he calls upon the name of God and he takes a copper jar from his net sealed with a seal of Solomon. And the fisherman is overjoyed since he can sell the jar for money and he's curious what's inside, he opens it. It's an Afridi who says the same thing as the thief of Baghdad. He was in there for however many years and he swore that he would reward people and then he gets more angry and he swears vengeance on them. And this is one of those stories that goes deeper so he he swears he's gonna he's gonna he's got to kill the fisherman and the fisherman pleads for his life the genie doesn't concede and oh sorry i'm getting them mixed up this is basically the thief of baghdad story it's just more involved and the the fisherman tries to make the genie feel bad by telling stories about how a wise sage is summoned to cure the king of a terrible leprosy and cures him by having him play polo with a club tipped with medicine, tricks him into doing well. And uh, it's all very complicated, but the idea is supposed to be... Oh, yeah, the king recounts the tale. I'll, I'll just read it, and then we'll figure it out. So the genie, the fisherman's pleading for his life. He does the, the fake out. He does the, if you're so powerful thing, get back in the bottle, plugs it up. The genie pleads with the fisherman... The fisherman tells the tale of the, the visor and the sage Duban as an example of why the genie should have spared him. Duban is a wise sage who was summoned to King Yunin to cure the king of his terrible leprosy. Duban cures him by having him play polo with a club tipped with medicine. The king is very grateful until a visor tells him that if Duban could cure him that easily, he could also kill him just as quick. The king remains skeptical and the two exchange some moral tales. The king recounts the tale of King Sinbad, who accidentally killed his own falcon that was attempting to save him from being poisoned by vipers, while the visor recounts the story of a visor who carelessly goaded a prince into almost getting eaten by a gula during a hunting trip. So that's the third level of story. The stories were recited, but <laughs> that's it's a lot. That's a lot of moving a lot parts. Of action, heavy action pieces. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. stories were recited, but eventually the king is won over to the visor's side, so not trusting Duban. The king tells Duban he will kill him, and Duban says that after he is beheaded, the king must read from a special book to his head, and he will hear the head speak. The king is amazed at this, and Duban is prepared and executed. Duban is beheaded, and the king licks his fingers and turns the pages of the book open, and he finds nothing there. The book was poisoned and the king dies. The head then speaks and tells him that had he been grateful to Duban, then God would have spared him. But since he hadn't spared him, God would not spare the king either. 
that's the story the fisherman tells the genie. And wow. yeah. And there's a couple more, but the, like the story, as these things do, it kind of it goes into some crazy places that probably make sense when you understand, like, know the context of the story's origin, original place in time and history. Yeah, yeah. And then the Merchant and the Genie is about a merchant who throws away a date pit, and a genie appears and accuses him of killing his son with a pit. So accuses him of killing the genie's son. Yeah. The merchant apologizes and says he had no intent to harm, but the genie insists that he must die. The merchant, being a good dude, he agrees to return a year later after he settled his affairs. So he goes home, he closes up his accounts, he returns his library books or whatever, and he kisses his wife on the cheek, and he goes to get killed by a genie because he promised. And he shows up, and the genie is ready to kill him, but then three dudes walk by, and they each have some weird particular animals I think one's got a gazelle, one's got goats, and one's got greyhounds. And they each tell a story to the genie to convince him to show mercy to the merchant. And each story is something to do with how, like, the animal that they have used to be a relative, a brother or a wife or something, who wronged them, and they took vengeance on them by turning them into these animals in different ways. And they, they, they kind of regret it. That is wild. Yeah. <laughs> I... Man, and the genie, what a, the genie what a, is convinced, what a and you leave the dream of a story. Yeah, and that's a really long story, but that's that's the gist of it. So yeah, so there you get in the merchant, and the genie, the the throwing the the date pit. It's kind of the idea is that the genie was like endemic to that location, like that spot, and had the merchant been sitting yeah. like a hundred feet away under a different tree and through a date pit, like it never would have come near the genie, but because the genie was like a spirit of that place. And the merchant was like careless with where he was throwing his stuff. He like disrupted the the vibe of the place. What a great like example of the fusion of the ideas of like the genius loci and the the, the gin, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like yeah. the vibe, the vibe personified. Yeah, yeah. Which I there's there's another creature in the I don't know if it's in this monster manual, but in previous ones there was like the water weird, which is like oh yeah, I don't think it's in the, this monster manual, but it comes up in some of the supplementary uh, yeah books and monsters. And they're they're sort of in between. They're like a, an intelligent elemental. Yeah. And that's sort of what I think a lot of like the pre-Islamic stories of of genies are. They're like, actually, no, that's not true because there's no there's no mention of like there being a fire or a stone or something here in particular. But they're just like they're just mm. places. But there is it's funny how there's like that spectrum. There's like elementals who like are the things they are the element, but they don't have any agency. And then the weird, I think, is like stationary and has to be near their element, but they have more agency. And then you got these genies who like also have powers concerning their element, but they don't have to be in the fifth edition book anyway. They don't have to be stationary. They kind of promote their element wherever they go. And they have lots of agency. Mm -hmm. So where does where does the because I, I feel like this is very much like a trope. I've seen, I, I've seen this come up in lots of genies and fiction. I can't think of a whole lot of... Well, except for one 
definite example definite example I'm gonna give, but like where does the idea of like a genie's wish having always having a, an erotic twist come? Because I feel like that comes up a lot. And where does that idea like did, did have you come across where that idea comes from? Wish with a twist? Yeah, I don't know. I mean I know that in the Thief of Baghdad he like he's he has to grant his wishes but he's like just keeping his mouth shut when the when the thief is like uh i really wish i had those sausages and instead of being like are you sure you want that because that would suck to use a wish he's just like here they are wish one done you suck you fucked it up so it's like they can't and that's what makes i guess that particular genie lawful it's like they, they can't directly lead you to making a bad decision or to frivolously spending a wish, but they will definitely like let you do it yourself. Yeah. Walk into it. But yeah, I think because I'm I'm reminded of there's there's an episode of I can't remember the name of the episode or what season it was in, but there's an episode of X Files where Mulder comes across a genie. Like it's a monster of the week episode, and it's a genie. It's a genie, and Mulder spends like a week writing page after page after page of like intense legalistic qualifications yeah. of his wish, so that there can't be an ironic twist to it. Yeah, you have to get into the legal the legal weeds. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I, I don't know. I. I I, I wonder if that just sort of like develops, I don't know, just almost like organically, the idea of it being like a, a like a sort of cosmic legalese and, and, and cosmic laws that like wishes have to follow. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. And I'm upset that I don't know the answer. I'm just upset that I, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't you know, know you know what it might be. Yeah. You know what it might be, and like I, I'd be, I'd, I'd honestly be upset if it was this simple. But like, what if it just draws from the saying, "Be careful what you wish for; you might just get just it." Get it, yeah. You know, it might be, and, and, and just people extrapolating on that say, saying, "What could that mean?" Yeah, and you know, there, it could be there could be more genie stories in the Thousand and One Arabian Nights, but I'm not. familiar enough with them and my research kung fu couldn't turn them up but so genies i think we've cooled off on genies lately in popular media i know there's some there's lots of uh, there's some book series to do with genies that are very loved by their fans but they haven't really penetrated wider audiences we have, of course, the Robin Williams genie named Genie. Yes. He's like a fun-loving guy. He's He's got the rules. Also, the rules. Like, I don't know where the rules come from. The rules might be a Disney. Yeah. Or it might be, like, I haven't read the actual Aladdin story. I've just read the, the synopsis. So it could be that there's, like, more detail in there. And Yeah. Oh, I Dream of Genie. Oh yeah, yeah. Great, another like white person's um, interpretation yes. of the idea. I just want to read some some details from the pilot episode that sets the tone for the rest of the, the show. I, yes. I had no idea what I Dream of Genie was. Please about, do. But in the pilot episode, the lady in the bottle, astronaut captain Tony Nelson, <laughs> is on a space flight when his one man capsule Stardust One comes down far from the planned recovery area near a deserted island in the South Pacific. On the beach, Tony notices a strange bottle that rolls by itself. 
When he rubs it after removing the stopper, smoke starts shooting out and a beautiful Persian-speaking female genie materializes and kisses Tony on the lips, shocking him. They can't understand each other until Tony expresses his wish that Jenny could speak English, which she then does. Then, per his instructions, she blinks and causes a recovery helicopter to show up to rescue Tony, who is grateful, and he tells her she is free. But Jenny has fallen in love with Tony at first sight after being trapped for 2,000 years. She re-enters her bottle and rolls it into Tony's duffel bag so she can accompany him back home. One of the first things Jenny does in a subsequent episode is break up Tony's engagement to his commanding general's daughter, Melissa, who, along with that particular general, is never seen or mentioned again. At first, Tony keeps Jenny in her bottle most of the time, but he finally relents and allows her to enjoy a life of her own. However, her life is devoted mostly to his, and most of their problems stem from Jenny's love for him and her often misguided efforts to please Tony even when he does not want her assistance, and Tony's efforts to cover up Jenny's antics because of his fear that he would be dismissed from the space program if he was harboring a genie. <laughs> <laughs> I dream of... they're very strict about that in NASA. yeah that gets you disqualified for sure yeah. that in shingles yeah so it is a it is a wet dream it is a like a harem anime it is like this yeah, uh, yeah. captain manly america has a hot and he's just like like get away from me <laughs> so gross that is such a like a uh, uh, I don't know. There's such a specific in pop culture idealized version of masculinity from the sixties and seventies. It's like no, no, it's like a really chauvinistic scientist. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. that's a real man. He's a scientist, but he's like a man, and he's, yeah. he, he he expects things from people. Yeah, he's a man. He he can he can row a canoe maybe to get to his research <laughs> station, canoe, but like nowhere. You discovered a supernatural, all-powerful being who loves you. Can't can't let that get loose because he might lose his job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Emily, my wife Emily, pointed out that Mister Clean is a genie. Oh yeah, yeah. He's just a specific. He's like a. What do we call him? He's a, a trapped genie. No, what are what are the ones in in third edition? That have jobs wasn't it a task, task genie? genie yeah he's a task genie yes. with cleanliness removing and actually you can consider most brand mascots <laughs> as if not genies then like genius locus. yeah oh yeah yeah totally things things you got to pray to yeah and that's that's all i got that was yeah. a lot that was a lot. There's a lot of a lot of genie stuff. It's very. It's huge. Very it's huge. Uh, I barely yeah. scraped the surface and probably messed a bunch of stuff up. But there's there's a great deal to them. Yeah. But bottom line, like I don't think there's a. The book does a uh, the fifth edition monster manual. I think does a pretty decent job of laying out the bones of how to use them. But definitely needs to include rules concerning wishes. That's a major oversight. Rules concerning wishes, and I, I would love there to be 
I know, not this is a terribly difficult thing for you to come up with if you're like the type of dungeon master that makes your own world and stuff like that. But like, I would love to know, like, how do you trap a genie? What do you got to do? You know? Yeah. What's involved in that? Because yeah, now if you want to use, if you want to do a campaign or adventure based on that kind of thing, you are now responsible for coming up with wish rules and yeah. coming up with the entrapment rules, which you can, you know, you can bullshit that however you want. It won't break anything. Yeah, and like wishes. Wish is such a powerful thing that like you could you could like pretty much make a whole campaign around like we've got to figure out a way to trap this notebook human. Yeah. So that they'll grant the wishes we want. And then you can make it just do the spell wish or you can try to have the genie flip it around and be like tricky about it. But then as you mentioned there's like there's a whole sub game of player is trying to word the wish in such a way as to be like un like invincible untamperable and then it's up to you as the dm to figure out how to tamper with it in a way that satisfies yeah the the wording of the wish but also the genie's malicious intent and then that's that's like a whole brain puzzle for you and whether or not you want to do that it's up to you so i guess it's yeah, it's probably a good idea to leave these things undescribed. But again, because of the point of view of the book, there's no like help to let to empower you to do that. To know that the the game wants you to like have fun figuring that out yourself. Oh, and I thought too within the game world concerning wishes, since genies are like a a, a common, they're you know, a known creature that lives and are is famous within its world, owning entire worlds and continents and stuff. Sometimes there's probably like a subclass of lawyer who specializes in wish contracts. Yeah. Because it can't be the first time this is happening. So like a wealthy enough wizard or something would have like a wish contract drawn up by a decent wish lawyer. Mm-hmm. And that probably costs a whole bunch of money. And if you want to go like very genie centric, and you and you you you're trying to build a world, you could have it. You could have it be where much of the world is the way it is because of previous oh. wishes people have made <laughs> yeah. with genies. But the genies all only get three wishes, so the reason most genies you meet don't have any wishes left is because people used the three wishes. It's not like three per person; it's like three total. And so the way the word the the reason you don't get a lot of genies with wishes left is because like people have used them all to make things the way they already oh, are. That's so depressing. They're all used up. They're all. <laughs> and so finding like an un like a like a genie who's still got wishes left, like that's the real holy grail. And like they don't want to. Maybe they don't want to. Maybe that's a lot of status is having like an unwished wish, and that's what makes you. Yeah, the, uh, the game like is a, like to like a, amass their own power, yeah. and therefore their own protections but it also makes them more conspicuous. Yeah, it's and it's like a it's all potential power too because it's like I still have a wish, you better do what I say because I still have a wish. So it's like it's like this like mega IOD. Yeah. Maybe they'll give it to you, maybe they won't. Yeah. I like the the world is just compounded wish results on top of each other. Okay, well, that's all for me. Yeah, that's that's about all I got. I got a, I do know one 
a lot of very, it's a genies are a common theme in our jokes. I have one very good genie okay, joke. Okay, lay it on me. I could share. I could share. Yeah. Okay. So uh, there, there are variables. I'm just going to mix up the variables. There's lots of ways to tell this joke, but there's, uh, there's, there's three guys and they're lost in the desert and they find a lamp in the middle of the sand. And so they rub the lamp and the genie, a genie pops out and it's like, you've released me from the, my, my prison in the lamp. Thank you. And as thanks, I'm going to give each of you three wishes. So the first guy says, all right, for my first wish, I want, I want a billion dollars. And so he gets a notification on his phone, boop, he, a, a, a billion dollars had just been deposited into his, into his account. The second guy's like, I want to be the richest person who's ever lived. And so he gets a notification on his phone, like he's a, a new bank has opened up to manage his own funds because he's now the world's first trillionaire, right? And then the third guy's like, I want my right arm to rotate constantly. And his right arm starts rotating constantly. And so the genie's like, okay, what's everybody's second wish? And then the, the first guy says, I want, I want to be married to the most like beautiful woman who's, who's, who's ever existed. And like a, a, a poof, <laughs> she's there. It's, it's like, a, you know, she's like super Aphrodite. She's the most beautiful person really that's ever existed. Second guy's like, I want to be so attracted that everyone in the world, no matter their sexuality is attracted to me. Like he... It's just like unreal the way he changes. Everybody is looking at him. The genie's flirting with him. The other guy's wife is flirting with him. He's 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 absolutely beautiful. And the the third guy's like, I want my left arm to rotate in circles constantly. And then so they get to their third and final wish each. And the the first guy is like, okay, I want to be the smartest person. In the world, I want to know. I want. I, 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 I want to be the smartest possible person. I want to know everything I could possibly know. So, he knows. He, uh, suddenly, it's like a, it's like Keanu Reeves in the Matrix. Like he knows kung fu, but he knows like quantum physics. He knows every. He's expert in every field. And then the second guy is like, okay, I want to like. I want to know something that he doesn't know. I want to know like an extra piece of knowledge. And he gets. He, you know, he, he knows the answer is 42. He finds out the question that the computer was calculating. Like he's got the secret piece of cosmic knowledge. And then the third guy's like, I want my head to nod back and forth constantly. Like some head banging all the time. And so they get all their wishes and they, the, the one guy's a trillionaire. So it's no problem for them to get home. And they all go about their lives and they meet back up one year later. And to see how everybody's doing. And the first guy's like, yeah, no, my life is going great. Like I invested my money well. I turned a billion dollars into $10 billion. My wife is so beautiful. I've solved all these giant world problems because of like all, all this knowledge that I have. Like everything's going great. And the other guy's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a trillionaire. I've, I'm working on a project to turn the world into a post-scarcity utopia. And I figured out zero point energy because I know it's a secret thing that nobody else knows. And, and I'm just like, so beautiful. People are, they're, they're building statues of me just to build statues of me because I think I'm so beautiful. And they look over the third guy and to see what he's doing and his, his right arm's moving around in circles and his left arm's moving around in circles and his head's nodding back and forth. And he's, guys, I think I fucked up. <laughs> It's very long. It's very stupid. It's supposed that's, to be long. That's fantastic. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Goddamn. That was great. Okay. Next yeah. next monster is the ghost. That's going to be long, too. And uh, Oh, yeah. Ghosts. <laughs> monsters away. <laughs> I am monsters out of here. Monster Manual Mash is Christopher Lawson and Wes Grist. Edited by me, Chris Lawson. Find me on Twitter at Chris M. Lawson. 
Music by Wes, a.k.a. Elias. You can find more of his music on bandcamp.com slash Elias. That's numeral zero L-I-A-S. It's not a hacker thing, it's just what was available. Thanks to Sarah B. Milner for our logo. Thanks to everyone listening, and to everyone talking monsters on the Monster Manual Mash Facebook group. Monsters to you.